Masechet Baba Kama Daf Ayin Aleph. The Mishnah mentioned that if a thief steals an ox and then sells it on Shabbat, he has to pay four and five because selling on Shabbat is not a biblical violation. There's no death penalty the uh, penalty there. Um, this is in contrast to if he steals it and then he slaughters it on Shabbat, then he is liable to capital punishment for violating Shabbat. And since he's liable to capital punishment, we can only give him the harsher punishment. He gets only capital punishment and he does not have to pay the fine of four and five. Um, that was on Shabbat. However, on Yom Kippur is different. If he um, steals it and then slaughters it on Yom Kippur, he does have to pay four and five because there is no capital punishment for violating Yom Kippur. Um, one gets karet or uh, lashes. Since there's no capital punishment regarding Yom Kippur, so he does have to pay the fine in 405. All right, that's what we learned from the Mishnah. Now we ask, Amri, Amai, Nihidik Talaleka, Malkot, Mihaika, Vekaimalan, Denolokeo, Mishalem. So why should he get off the, why should he have to pay? for slaughtering on Yom Kippur. Even though there's no capital punishment, still he gets lashes, and we the rule is that one does not get lashes and pay, right? We apply the uh, no, no double uh, punishment, not only to capital punishment and payment, but also lashes and payment. One cannot get both. So even though Yom Kippur is uh, less severe, still, since he gets lashes, we should say he's patur and should not have to pay. So our answer is that actually this Mishnah is the minority opinion of Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir thinks that one can get both two punishments, both lashes and paying. This is the only, only the opinion of Rabbi Meir. You're right, the other sages would say if you get lashes then you don't have to pay. Wait a second, if this Mishnah is Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir thinks that you can get two punishments. He even thinks that you can get capital punishment and payment. So therefore, even if it was slaughtering on Shabbat, which is Asur Medoraita and gets capital punishment, if it's Rabbi Meir, he would say, well, then you get capital punishment and you pay four and five. Uh, but uh, the, the Mishnah, we're going to see the, the Mishnah later on, uh, contrasts with this Mishnah, our Mishnah that we saw above, says if he sells it on Shabbat, then he has to pay. But we're going to see uh, the follow-up of the Mishnah says, if he slaughters it on Shabbat, then he doesn't have to pay. But if it's Rabbi Meir, then he should have to pay, even though he's getting capital punishment. And maybe you'll say, no, to be me, it only thinks that you get two punishments if it's lashes and payment. That, then yes, those can both apply. But capital punishment and, and, and payment, that even to be me, would agree that you don't get those two. But that's not true. Look at this baraita in the case of someone, a thief who steals and then he slaughters on Shabbat or he steals and then slaughters the animal for the sake of Avodah Zarah. Um, these are the two that are, are important for us right now. In both of those cases, he has to pay four and five, even though both of these are capital punishment, slaughtering on Shabbat or worshiping Avodah Zarah by slaughtering an animal to it. 
these are both capital punishment, and the Bimeir says that he has to pay. So you see, the Bimeir does not have the principle of Kim Le Bidrabamine. He says if you if you're liable to two punishments, you get both of them, whether it's lashes and payment or even capital punishment and payment. Hachamim say no in these cases because right, you don't get two punishments. Okay, we're gonna have to come back to the Shora Niskal. Shodaniska means a, an animal that committed some mur, uh, uh, a murder or, or a terrible sin, and then is found guilty, and so then the, um, this ox itself is supposed to be slaughtered. This ox, no one can get benefit from it. If, let's say, uh, uh, sorry, has to be stoned. If someone, before it's stoned, decides to slaughter it, it's not kosher. You can't eat the meat. You can't benefit from the meat. You can't benefit from the animal at all. Um, so if someone, a thief, steals a, an ox that was sentenced to be stoned, um, technically it's not owned by anyone because it has no value. Since it can't, you can't sell it, you can't use it. Um, it's not actually owned by the original owner. So what does that mean that he's stealing it? Whose ox is he stealing and whose ox is he slaughtering? Um, so we're gonna, that, that would be why Chachamim say you don't have to pay. Uh, we're going to discuss why the me thinks that you do have to pay that the thief does have to pay, even though he's slaughtering something that doesn't belong to anywhere. Anyway, we'll come back to this, but this is not, uh, this doesn't fit into the capital punishment um, scenario of the first two. But our point here is that Bimeir thinks that one is liable to pay and get capital punishment. And therefore, if our Mishnah is the opinion of Bimeir, then we will not be able to understand the Mishnah because the Mishnah says that Tavach Shabbat is Patur. So how, what are we going to do? Amri, bar marala, amar bi Yaakov, amar bi Yochanan, v'amri la. Amar bi Yirmiya, amar bi Shimon ben Lakish, rabbi Abin, rabbi El'ah, v'chol haburata mishmed rabbi Yochanan amre. Oh, so it says, right? Um, take this baraita and take it outside, right? Don't uh, interpret it according at face value. Um, we, we're accepting that the baraita is true, but we're limiting it to a case. Um, uh, this is in the name of many different uh, um, uh, tradents, but ultimately in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, who says that this whole, whole baraita is talking about where the thief doesn't do the shechita himself. He takes it to someone else. He takes it to the butcher and asks the butcher to do the shechita on Shabbat. And therefore, um, the it actually he is not the thief is not liable to capital punishment because he's not he's not the one that did the shechita on Shabbat. Um, so the case uh, would be he a thief stole it, and on Shabbat he asked a friend, "Would you mind doing shechita?" The friend is liable to capital punishment. If someone asks you to violate Shabbat, you still can't do it, and you'll be liable for doing it. So the friend is liable to capital punishment. The thief is not liable to capital punishment. Therefore, the thief has to pay. So this is, in, in, the, in, in fact, the BMA thinks he has to pay because of that. Um, but the BMA would agree that if the thief did it himself, he would not be liable. And so to be a Meir, in fact, does have the does have the principle of Kim Lebed and he applies it. 
um, uh, he applies it to uh, capital punishment and a fine. You would not have to get. You would not get two punishments. Rabbi Meir, however, does not apply kim if it's only lashes and a fine. He thinks that you pay both, and therefore we see our Mishnah is in fact the opinion of Rabbi Meir, and that's why if Ganavetavach on Yom Kippur. Even though he gets lashes, he has to pay a fine because that's what Abimeida says. The other sages say you don't get lashes and pay a fine, just like you don't get capital punishment and pay a fine. But Abimeida says, although he agrees that you can't get capital punishment and pay a fine, he thinks that you can get lashes and pay a fine. And so our Mishnah is Abimeida, and we are able to fit this Baraita perfectly well if it's talking about a uh, uh, the thief that gives it to someone else to do the Shechita. But now we ask about that very interpretation. Does it make sense that one person sins and a different person should be liable? In this case, the slaughterer is the one that sinned um, by slaughtering it. Well, he is, that person is going to be uh, deserving of capital punishment for violating Shabbat. But what doesn't make sense is that the thief should have to pay four and five. We understand if a thief steals steals a, a sheep and then he sells it or slaughters it, then he, the thief, is going to be liable to four and five. But if he's not the one that slaughtered it, then why should he pay four and five? Rava quotes a pasuk from Shemot. Incidentally, this is a misquote. The pasuk says, And in fact, if you look at the manuscripts, you'll see that, yes, in printed editions, that's the top three lines are the Vilna, Sancino, and the Venice printed editions, that those two are the earliest printed editions, um, read what the Vilna has and doesn't say the word oh, it says umchado, which is not what we have in the Masoretic text in our Sifre Torah. Um, uh, but the best manuscripts here, Hamburg and uh, Firenze, Firenze and Escorial have the correct oh, mechado, oh, mechado, oh, mechado, although there are two other manuscripts, Ashkenazi manuscripts, that um, do say the uh, wrong pasuk. Um, and so, yeah, those two, the Vatican was Ashkenazi and Munich is Ashkenazi, but uh, the good, good manuscripts, you see Hamburg, the Svaradi manuscript, um, and this one in Florence have the correct um, uh, pasuk, and uh, it's in the Vilna edition, It is um, there is a note on the side that corrects it according to the pasuk as we have it in the Aleppo Codex, in the Masoretic Text, and their Arasifira Torah. Okay, in any case, Utvacho o Mechado would be the correct reading here. Um, so this uh, this case is different uh, because it's comparing them. Just like to, if you make a sale, you need two parties to make a sale. You can't sell something to yourself. And therefore the owner, the, the thief, is liable for selling it to another, even though it's someone else that is receiving it. So too, Tebicha, even if someone else does the slaughter, the thief is still liable. So while you're right in your question that generally you don't have a case where one person does an action and a different person has to pay the price, that usually doesn't make sense. But in this case, this law is an exception that Ava explains, uh, just like you're selling it with another party, and yet the thief is liable, not the buyer. So too, the thief is liable even if someone else does the slaughtering. 
The same ruling is derived in two other ways. Instead of comparing maybe the vav here doesn't doesn't mean to quote the pasuk, but just means to say, look, it says tevacho, and it also says mechado, and we're comparing them because they're juxtaposed together. Um, but it's clear that the Gemara knows that the word is O because Rabbi Ishmael says, school Rabbi Ishmael has a Braita that says the word O between those two verbs comes to, his extra, extra word, comes to include not only if the thief slaughters it himself, even if he has an agent sell or slaughter the animal, still the thief has to pay four and five. Uh, from the school of Rabbi Chizkiah, uh, from of Chizkiyah, we have a Braita that says the word Tachat, that you have to pay um, five oxen for the ox and four for the sheep. Um, we saw that you don't need both of those Tachat words, and so that comes to include a Shaliach, and that, that makes sense also. The meaning of Tachat means instead of, this instead of that, and so the thief who appoints someone to slaughter it instead of him, uh, nevertheless, the thief is, is remains liable. So that takes care of that challenge. Uh, similar question, but slightly different. Is there any case where if the a person himself would do something, he would not be liable, but if he sends someone else to do it, he would be liable, right? This is just deepening the, the question. The thief, if the thief himself steals something, an ox, and slaughters it on Shabbat, he is not liable to pay because he gets capital punishment. Um, but if he sends a messenger, then he is liable to pay. So does that make any sense that you should be more lenient on him um, if he does it himself than if he sends someone else to do it? And the answer to that is evident. Avashi explains, it's not that the thief is not liable to pay when he himself does it on Shabbat. It's just that we have a rule that you don't give him two punishments. You're already killing him. So then we, the, the, the Betin doesn't have a wherewithal to uh, make him pay as well. But if there be, it should be such a, some situation where somehow he gets off of the death penalty, then he does have to pay. I mean, in other words, he is theoretically, potentially liable to pay. It's just that practically, we're not going to issue that ruling that he has to pay because he's, or we're already uh, killing him. Um, but he is liable. Um, you know, he is guilty of it. Okay. All right, now that we solve this whole question for Rabbi Meir, we said the Mishnah is the opinion of Rabbi Meir. And the Braita that we brought as a challenge, we were able to explain it away. Uh, the Braita says that if you slaughter something on Shabbat, the Bimeir says, Hayav. Why Hayav? Oh, because he uh, slaughtered it with a messenger. Okay, fine. You got the Bimeir off the hook. But now you have to explain the Banan in that very Braita. Say that if the thief... Um, uh, now we're explaining it as through a messenger, um, gives a messenger the item, the uh, the ox to slaughter on Shabbat, then the thief does not have to pay according to Rabbanan. Well, why not? If if it's if the slaughterer was someone else and the slaughterer gets capital punishment, then the thief doesn't get capital punishment. So why should the thief not have to pay according to Rabbanan? You gave such a good answer to Bimeir. Now we have a, we created a problem for Rabbanan. So we answer, who is Chachamim in the Braita? It is none other than Rabbi Shimon. 
who says in general, and he even says it in our Mishnah, we're going to come back to a statement in our Mishnah, his general principle is that if you do a ritual slaughter, but it's invalid for whatever reason, is not considered a, a, a valid shechita. Um, meaning that even if you uh, someone comes and uses a good knife and he does all the rules of the, what shechita should be on the neck in the right place in the right way, but if it doesn't result in kosher meat, in, uh, in uh, having a valid uh, a result, a kosher result, then we don't call that act shechita at all. In the, in the Amishnah, we saw the example, he does shechita, but it turns out to be terefa. That's not, uh, since it's not kosher in the end, so you never did shechita, and you don't have to pay four and five. You only have to pay four and five if the thief kills an animal through shechita, not if he kills it in any other way. And therefore, in this in this baraita, for example, it talks about avodazara. If you slaughter something for avodazara, the meat is not kosher. So even though you did the shechita with a hundred percent the best knife, the best way, you did a perfect shechita. Still, that's not called shechita because the meat is not kosher. Shoraniskal also, um, it's it's not kosher. You can't benefit from its meat, and therefore is not a shechita. And that's why. In that baraita, you don't have to pay. This thief, he, he gave it to someone else to do shechita, and that person did shechita, but he did it for avodazara. Well, that's not considered shechita, and therefore the thief does not have to pay four and five. Good. Amri, bishlam avodazara v'shor niskal, shechita shenaru yahi, ela shabbat shechita yahi. So that answer makes sense for two of the three items on the list in that baraita. Since those things does not produce kosher edible food, therefore it's not called shechita, and the thief does not have to pay four and five for it. But Shabbat, it is a valid shechita. That teaches if someone does shechita on Shabbat or Yom Kippur, even though that's prohibited, and on Shabbat he will be liable to the death penalty for doing shechita on Shabbat. But what about the meat? Can he eat it? Yes. The meat can be eaten, right? They go kill the guy, but then they go make a barbecue. Um, and so the shechita is kosher, and therefore it's a val shechita. So back to the question, even if you say that this b'dayta is Rabbi Shimon, right? Would they, wouldn't Rabbi Shimon agree that if the shechita done on Shabbat, the shechita was done by uh, someone else, not the thief. So the thief is not liable capital punishment. And that shechita is a valid shechita because the meat is kosher and edible. And so um, since uh, the thief stole and caused it to be slaughtered with the proper ritual slaughter, he should have to pay four and five. How can we explain that case? The answer is, Rabbi Shimon will agree with the other minority opinion of Yochanan Sandlar, who thinks that you cannot eat meat um, that was slaughtered on Shabbat. He disagrees with this Mishnah. A very important Mishnah in Masechet um, that has practical consequences today. There's three opinions about what happens if someone cooks on Shabbat. Can it be eaten? So the first opinion of Rabbi Meir says 
that if someone cooks on Shabbat by mistake, they didn't realize it was Shabbat, so, but then that, now they cooked it, so he can eat the food. But um, uh, if he did it on purpose, he says, I don't care, it's Shabbat, I, I, want it, I, I want to cook anyway, then it's a penalty. You cooked on Shabbat, you can't benefit from the item that resulted from uh, violating Shabbat if you did it on purpose, according to the Bimeir. Um, he's the most lenient. The Biudah says, if you did it by mistake, then you have to wait till after Shabbat to eat it. You can't benefit on Shabbat itself. So you uh, heated up some water to, uh, and you cooked some soup on Shabbat. And, um, and uh, so you can't eat on Shabbat. After Shabbat, then you can eat it. Um, if you do it on purpose, however, then the person who cooked it cannot eat it forever. Okay, that's the middle opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. Then the most stringent opinion is Rabbi Yochanan Asanlad Omer, Bishogeg Yachel Mosei Shabbat Lacherim Velo Lo, Bemezid Lo Yachel Olamit, Lo Lo Velo La Acherim. He says, if someone cooked on Shabbat by mistake, then um, uh, after Shabbat is over, other people can eat it, but not him, right? I woke up Shabbat morning and I forgot it was Shabbat, I made eggs. So I cannot eat those eggs ever. But after Shabbat, uh, my my uh, son can eat the eggs. However, if I did it on purpose, I don't care what Shabbat I'm going to violate anyway, then no one can eat those eggs, not ever. Not me and not anybody else. What you see from Rabbi Yochanan is that um, if you violate, uh, if you produce something on Shabbat in violation of Shabbat, it's prohibited forever. So the same thing, this is talking about cooking, but the same thing would be true for Shechita. Someone does Shechita of an animal on Shabbat, he violates Shabbat, and you cannot benefit from the result of an action done on Shabbat is prohibited forever. And therefore, it would not be a valid Shechita, according to the Bishimon, since it doesn't produce kosher, edible food, it was not Shechita. Since it was not Shechita, the thief doesn't have to pay four and five. Now, my Tamad Rabbi Yochanan ben Hasanlar, now they mention Yochanan, what is his source? Rabbi Chia said this when he was um, giving a lecture at the entrance to the house of the Nasi. Since Pasuk in Shemot says that you should observe Shabbat because it is holy to you, so just like something holy, something consecrated, you're not allowed to eat it, so too something produced in violation of Shabbat, also you are not allowed to eat. Now, if you're going to make a full comparison, then you're going to have a problem because does that mean that just like something consecrated, you cannot benefit from it? So too, something that's produced in violation of Shabbat would also be prohibited to benefit from? That's why it says Kodeshi. It is true, it's Kodesh, but it's Lachem. Um, you can benefit, it, benefit from it in other ways. You just can't eat it. According to this, it sounds like even if it was done by mistake, it would be like Kodesh. So can it be that even Bishogeg, no one is allowed to have it ever? That same Pasuk says, um, those who violate Shabbat and profane Shabbat will get the death penalty. But that's only if you do it on purpose. If you did it by mistake, then that's not true. Um, and that's what it be Yochanan Sanlar said, that if it was done by Shogeg, then after Shabbat, other people can benefit and uh, other people can eat it. 
so that's the source of him um, of the uh, of Rabbi Yochanan ben Salat. And now we're we're good. We explain we explain that Baraita according to Bimeir and according to Chachamim. Chachamim is really Bishimon, who happens also have also has to agree with Rabbi Yochanan Asanlar. Peli Gibar of Achav Rabina. Chadamar Maseh Shabbat Oraita. Chadamar Maseh Shabbat Rabanan. Now that you brought up the subject. Um, in fact, there is a machloket about this, um, whether something that is um, produced in violation of Shabbat, what is the level of that prohibition? Uh, so Rav Achan and Ravina have a machloket about it. One of them says, it's a sumideoraita. In fact, you just brought a pasuk from, uh, so that sounds like it's a sumideoraita. But another opinion says, no, it's only midrabanan. It's a fine. The rabbis want to give it out. They don't want you to buy it, to benefit from, they don't want you to violate Shabbat. So they say, you know what? You can't even benefit from it. And that way, that will be a good reminder and prevent people from violating Shabbat if they know that they can't benefit from it anyway. Now, if you say it's a deoraita prohibition, then we already saw the source. How would the opinion that say that it's only that something that's produced in violation of Shabbat is only prohibited with Rabbanan? What are they going to do with that pasuk? That pasuk proved that it was prohibited with deoraita. So they'll interpret the pasuk differently. They'll say, Kodesh he, Shabbat is holy, meaning only Shabbat, the day itself is holy, but something that happens to be produced on Shabbat, that thing is not considered like holy, meaning like something consecrated that will be prohibited. No, it's not. It's not. It's permitted. Shabbat is holy, but if you cooked something on Shabbat or did shechita on Shabbat, then that biblically would be permitted. Uh, it's only the rabbis that came and made a gezerah about it. So now that we went through this tangent to figure out what the source is for everybody, well, now we have a question uh, back on why, why we brought this in the first place. According to the what opinion that says, that Ma'aseh Shabbat is prohibited me de oraita, then everything makes sense because this is the meat is going to be prohibited. Therefore, um, this is according to the Biochanan Asandlar. And therefore, the Bishimon would say, since it didn't produce meat, kosher meat that's edible, therefore there was no Ma'aseh Shechita here. And since there was no Shechita done, the thief is not liable according to Rabbanan in that Braita. However, if you follow the other opinion that say that Masse Shabbat, something produced on Shabbat, even according is only Masur Midrabanan. So then on a biblical level, this meat is permitted. So if someone would go and um, do Shechita on Shabbat, <clears throat> the meat, although Midrabanan, you can't eat it, Midoraita is perfectly kosher. And therefore, according to the Bishimon, on the Doraita level, this Shechita was a valid Shechita. Since it was a valid Shechita, and it wasn't the thief himself that did it, it was his friend that did it, so the friend deserves capital punishment, but the thief does not deserve capital punishment, and this is a valid Shechita, therefore the thief should be liable to four and five, and at what reason would Rabbanan, against the Bimeir, have in our Baraita to say that the thief does not have to pay? Very, very difficult uh, challenge. And in fact, we barely have an answer. When it says in the Braita that the rabbis say you don't have to pay, they weren't talking, talking about all three cases listed in the Braita, but rather only regarding Avodah Zarah and Shor HaNiskal. In those two cases, when uh, someone slaughters it, 
the uh, since they slaughtered it for Avodazara, or it was a um, an ox that needed to be stoned, these are both prohibited bana'ah, and therefore the they you can't eat it, and therefore the slaughter is not a kosher, is not a valid slaughter. Right? We're following the Bishimon. Since there was no shechita, the thief doesn't have to pay four and five. If there was never a shechita, it's the same as uh, just shooting the animal, killing it in a different way. So when the Rabbanan say you don't have to pay, they won't talk about those two cases, but even the rabbis would agree with Rabbi Meir. In the case of Shabbat, that the thief does have to pay. All right, so now we um, explain the Braita according to Rabbanan, but now we're going to go back to ask a question to Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir, am I mechayev shochet la avodah zara? Kevan de shachat ba'purta asara? Idach isurah na'ahu vela demare katabach vela de katabach. We ask, why does Rabbi Meir say that in the case when the thief stole an ox and then um, slaughtered it for Avodah Zarah, why should he be liable according to the Bimeir? Um, uh, after all, once he starts slaughtering it just a little bit, just the beginning of the slaughter, the knife just um, uh, cuts a little bit, um, already it becomes prohibited because at that point already that's enough to make it a, an act of idolatry and therefore it becomes immediately prohibited to have benefit. Something that no one can benefit from has zero value. If something has zero value, has no ownership. Can, can you own something that has that is worth zero? Right? Ownership means there's something that's valuable there. So no, I own it. And you say you own it. Okay, we can fight over something, even if it's only worth a dollar, we can fight over it. But something that is zero value, you you can't argue over it. There is no owner. And therefore, when he does a slaughter, he is he's slaughtering an item, an animal that doesn't belong belong to its master and the printed editions it says here um, it doesn't belong to that he's not slaughtering something that belongs to um, the, it, the, the master meaning the original owner from whom the thief stole it and not of his now actually it makes no difference if it's the if it belongs to him the thief himself um, if it belongs to him actually then he also doesn't have to pay so these words are extraneous and in fact if you look at the um, uh, a printed edition puts it in parentheses that it should be um, erased um, in the early printed editions the words are there and they uh, do in fact exist in most manuscripts but not in the best Sephardic manuscript the Hamburg one um, uh, which does not have those words so those words probably do not belong there um, because they don't make sense uh, the only thing I mean it's true it doesn't actually doesn't it could be added for rhetorical effect it doesn't belong to him and not to the owner but the main point is that since it's a surbahana'a, there is no owner, and so it doesn't belong to the original owner, and so he's slaughtering, just um, uh, doing shechita uh, on something. You only have to pay four and five if you steal and slaughter the animal that belongs to, not to you, but to the original owner. If it doesn't belong to the original owner anymore, then he's not doing, he's not slaughtering that uh, that owner's animal and therefore would not be liable to four and five. So that's all the challenge to the Bimeir on that case. And the answer, Amar Rava, if you notice we have Rava in all the editions, it has Rava except for the one that we just said was the best one, Rabah, it says here. So how could that one have something different than all the others? It could be that Rabah with a He is an alternate spelling of Rava with an Aleph. 
I know that's very confusing, but that does happen, which makes it exceedingly difficult to figure out 100% whether a statement was said by Rabbah, the third generation Amora, or his student Rava, the fourth generation Amora, if their, even their spelling is interchanged. And that's besides the cases where um, there's, you know, just uh, they get confused. The best way to tell is to see who they're speaking to, um, but in this case, it's a kind of standalone, so it's hard to know. Um, anyway, presumably it is Rava, the fourth generation um, here. So he says, we're talking about a case of where um, uh, he, he, the, the person said, the thief who's doing the slaughtering said, I want the idolatry to occur only at the end of the slaughter. Even though in the standard case, the beginning of the slaughter is already an act of idolatry, he says, listen, I'm having in mind that the beginning of the slaughter will just be not, nothing, no no significance, and I want, I, I want this animal to be, I have in mind, this will be a sacrifice to Baal um, when I finish the slaughter. Since he says that at the finish of the slaughter, while he's slaughtering it, it still is owned. It still has value. It's not a subhan ayat. And still still owned by the original owner. And that's why he's liable to four and five as a fine. We now ask one more question to Rabbi Meir of this Baraita on another case. Um, if you have an ox that is meant for, it was already decreed that it needs to be stoned. So it's prohibited for, to have benefit from it. If there's no, if you can't have any benefit from it, then it's ownerless, right? It doesn't belong to its original owner. So he's slaughtering something that doesn't belong to the original owner, nor does it belong to the thief himself. It belongs to no one. And since it belong, does not belong to the original owner, he, the thief is slaughtering something that is not a stolen item anymore. It actually, this item itself has no owner, so we shouldn't have to pay four and five. Here we have the same issue um, uh, textually as we did before, right? The significant thing is that the thief is slaughtering an animal that is not owned by the person he stole it from, right? It doesn't really matter if the thief himself owns it or not. He still would not have to pay four and five. So you don't need this phrase, Vilavdi de Tavach. And in fact, if you look at the manuscripts here, again, we see that Vilavdi Mare Katavach is found in the uh, in manuscripts and actually all of them, Vilavdi Mare Katavach. The phrase, Vilavdi de Katavach, is found only in the three uh, printed editions and in one manuscript. Lav de who um, that is not his in the Vilna editions put in parentheses because I realize it doesn't fit. Uh, but you see in these four manuscripts, it only says a surehanahu de since it's prohibited by, uh, in in having any benefit, it does not belong to the original owner. Right, and that includes Hamburg, and now Hamburg has lots of friends. Um, incidentally, Ravah is going to answer this question also, and here also uh, in the Hamburg manuscript says Rabah with a he, uh, joined by the Munich manuscript also that has a he over here. Um, anyway, back to the answer. Amar Ravah, hachav maskinan kigon shemisado leshomer vizik bebet shomer veoad bebet shomer venigmar dino bebet shomer veribi meir sabar la kerebi Yaakov vesabar la kerebi Shimon. So our problem was that why should you be liable according to the Bimeir in the case where the thief um, uh, slaughtered 
a an ox that has uh, uh, that needs to be stoned after all this ox has zero value and if it has zero value it has no ownership and so you shouldn't have to pay for kill the thief should not have to pay so the says we're talking about a very specific case of the owner handed his ox to a watchman to a shomer and it was a perfectly nice calm ox at the time but then while it was in the shomer's house it went and killed someone and it was um uh, and uh, the witnesses came um and uh, and testified about it and um it was brought to trial while while it was still under the um the possession of the shomer and uh, then there was and the and the and the judge said this needs to be killed um and then that's when the thief stole it before they could actually stone this ox the thief goes and steals it. So why does this make a difference? Because we're also going to add, going to add in the opinions of Rabbi Meir, um, as, uh, that, uh, and the opinions of Rabbi Yaakov, Rabbi Meir follows him, and Rabbi Shimon. Well, what do they say? In a normal case, this is already not a normal case, but in a normal case like this, right, I gave my ox to a Shomer, and then my ox while it was there, killed someone, is put on trial, is liable to the death penalty. In that case, normally, the it would be killed, right? The Betin would come, seize the ox, and stone it. And then the Shomer would be liable to pay me the value of the ox. I gave you a, an ox to watch for me, and I want it back. So he would have to pay the, pay the money. However, according to the Biakov, the Shomer could do something smart. Before the Betin comes to take the ox, he can return the ox to me. He says, oh, here, you gave me this to watch, I'm returning it. And then they're off the hook, even though this ox is now useless because it's going to be killed in a minute and can't be, it can, it can, it can have no benefit from it anyway. Uh, nevertheless, he returned the physical item, and so it is considered um, um, returned. Furthermore, we're going to add in the Bishimon. He says that if someone causes a financial loss indirectly, they didn't do it directly to take your money or destroy something, but even they did it indirectly, nevertheless, that's considered a loss and one has to pay for it. So in this case, the Shomer was planning to take this ox that was um, sentenced to be stoned, and he was going to return it to the owner and thereby not have to pay. But before he could do that, a thief came, and the thief stole the ox, and now that indirectly caused a loss to the um, to the Shomer, and now that the Shomer now is going to have to pay up out of his pocket for it. So even though this ox is as a surbahana'a and technically worthless, nevertheless, it is, it is worth something to the Shomer because the Shomer now is going to have to pay rather than have it. And so here you have a case that even though it's a subhana'a, nevertheless, it actually does have value. Um, and when the thief uh, slaughters it, he is slaughtering something, uh, slaughtering an item that has value to the person that he stole it from. And that's why he does have to pay four and five for it. Okay, um, you have to put a lot of things together, but once you do, it's brilliant and it works. Now, just to explain to Bishimon, where does he say that something indirect you have to pay for? 
תתנן שבלבי שמעון אומר, קודשים שחייה באחריותן חייב, עלמא דבר הגורם לממון כממון דמה. If I have a sacrificial animal that I have responsibility for, I say this here sheep, I am designating this sheep I'm going to bring as a korban ola. Now, if it gets lost or stolen, I have to replace it, so I'm responsible for it. Even though it's consecrated and therefore I can't use it for anything, um, it doesn't belong to me, it belongs to the Beta Mikdash. Nevertheless, I'm the one responsible to have to replace it. If a thief would come and steal it, then um, the thief would have to pay me, according to Rabbi Shimon, right? Uh, so if a thief steals, Kodashim, then the thief is liable to pay four and five. What do you see from that? Even though the thief Normally, if the thief takes steals something consecrated, he doesn't have to pay because you don't pay four and five to to gavawa, but he does have to pay me because I'm responsible to replace it. And so there we see even indirect um, uh, 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 loss, indirect damage uh, is um, one is liable to pay. And so that's where we see to be Shimon's opinion. Okay, so far so good. As I repeated, the interpretation we had of our Mishnah, remember we asked in the Mishnah, how come if someone slaughter, if the thief slaughters on Yom Kippur, he's patur, if he gets lashes, and so we shouldn't have to get lashes and payment. And we answered that the Mishnah is the opinion of Rabbi Meir, who says that you can get lashes and also have to pay. So he repeated this to Rav Zavid from Mehar Da'ah. And Rav Zavid challenged back, Wait, can you really say that this Mishnah is only the opinion of Rabbi Meir, who thinks that you are, can be liable to lashes and payment, and it's not according to the other sages, not according to the Bishimon, who disagrees with that. But after all, the end of our very Mishnah mentions the Bishimon as disagreeing with these two items. Doesn't that imply that he would agree with the rest of the Mishnah? If we look back at the Mishnah, right, um, we had... Um, the, the case of two sets of witnesses, and then our case of Ganav Umacha B'Shabbat and Tabach B'Yom Kippur. And uh, here, um, in all these cases, we said he is liable to pay. And then it goes on and brings case these cases here of if someone steals and slaughters it, not, not for eating the meat, but rather for medicine or to feed to the dogs, or if it turns out to be terefa, or it's chulin, he, he slaughters it in the azara, and it's chulin, and all these he has to pay four and five as well. And then it says the Bishimon exempts um, uh, Bishne Elu. He exempts in the last two because those are not, they, those um, ends up being non-kosher meat. And therefore, it's not about not about slaughter. If it's not about slaughter, you don't have to pay him four and five. It only says that he disagrees with the last two. Doesn't that mean that he agrees with the entire rest of the Mishnah? And that would mean he should, he should agree with Ganav Tavach B'Yom Kippurim. So now how can you say, oh, that this is only to be the Mime'i's opinion and not anybody else's opinion, not to be Shimon, if the Bishimon says here that I only disagree with the last two, doesn't that imply he agrees with the rest of the Mishnah? And we answer, No, he was just saying these the, the last two out of the the two out of the last four mentioned. Um, he says, I say is not one is not liable for these two, but I would agree with the immediate uh, cases above that you did Shechita for to get the meat to use it as, use it as medicine or 
to feed to the dogs. In those cases, Rabbi Shimon would agree that he has to pay. But he was not addressing the uh, previous cases on the Mishnah. So in fact, the rest of the Mishnah can be the opinion only of, uh, the, the specifically the case of Yom Kippur, can be the opinion only of Rabbi Meir. The next part of the Mishnah says, If someone steals an ox from his own father, and he slaughters it or sells it, and then, so if that was simply the case, of course, he would have to pay his father uh, the four or five times. Uh, but then his father dies before he pays it. And nevertheless, he has to pay four and five. He'll pay it to his father's heirs, if his, if his brothers. Now, even though um, he is one of the heirs too, so he'll get back some, uh, uh, some of that, but still he has to pay the uh, proportional amount to the brothers. Uh, we're going to bring in this case as a challenge to the following, uh, as a proof. So, But here the question is, um, if someone stole an animal from two partners, is two partners that share in an ox, and then um, this thief stole it, and he slaughters it, and then he goes to partner A and admits now, the law is, if you admit, then you don't have to pay a fine. So, for partner A, he's certainly not going to have to pay anything at all to him. But he did not admit to partner B. Now, how could that be? Once you admit that you stole the animal and it's owned by partners, then isn't that admission that he stole for both of them? Uh, then he's shown him discuss different ways that you can concoct such a scenario. He admitted in one court that he stole it from A, but in a different court, he denied that he stole it. Um, or he denies that B is even a partner at all. He says, no, I own the other half. Okay, so that's the question. Although he's not going to pay fine, to partner A, to whom he admitted, since he denied stealing it from partner B, or did not admit it, um, then he would have to pay a fine. Can you pay half a fine? Do we say that the Pasuk says that if it's an ox, you have to pay five oxen? That's what the Torah says, and not five halves of an ox. You can't pay a uh, a a, 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 um, a partial fine, or do we say, it's, yes, it's five oxen, that's for a normal case, and if it happens to be that you have to split it, then you can pay five halves of an oxen. And if it was, it was with three people, then you'd pay, and you'd admit it to two of them, then you'd pay um, uh, one of them five-thirds of, uh, of oxen. Um, so which one do we say? And the answer is, In fact, the Torah says five, has to be five whole oxen. You only pay if you pay the entire amount. And so therefore, in our case, where you have no need to pay the entire amount, you would pay two one of the to partner B to whom you did not admit you'd pay two and a half oxen to that person. Good. Itibe. But now Rava has a challenge from our Mishnah. Hold on. In our very Mishnah, where someone steals from his father and slaughters it or sells it, and then his father dies, he has to pay four and five. But this is the same as, uh, once his father dies, this is the same as admitting to one partner and not to another. How is it the same? Let's say the thief has one brother. So now, when um, he, he steals and slaughters it, 
and the father dies, so he has to pay, well, he doesn't have to pay himself, right? Let's say he would pay five, it's an ox, he would pay five to the estate, but then the father, you know, after the father dies, they split the estate, and now he, the thief, would get two and a half, and the brother would get two and a half. So basically, he doesn't have to pay himself, he just has to pay his brother two and a half oxen. So you see, it's the same thing. This is another case where you'd have to pay, but only a partial payment. And yet, our Mishnah says, he has to pay the four and five, or the ratio of it. Uh, the fraction of it, according to the calculation, if he has two brothers, three brothers, ten brothers, so he would have to pay. So you see that there is such thing as a partial payment of four and five, and that goes against what you just said. Rav Nachman answers, We're talking about a case where the father, before he died, already stood trial, and there was already a verdict. Therefore, this does not make a difference. Once a, once a bet din makes a verdict, and they say, you have to pay, right, this much, five oxen to your father. So then, it be, be, it's a calculation of a certain amount, or you could give oxen, the amount of oxen, and now it just becomes something that you owe, and, uh, and it doesn't matter what changes after. Um, but in fact, you're right, if it was before the Betin made a decision, then they would not be able to um, up uh, to make one liable to half of a fine because as I said there's no such thing as half of a fine so if the father had not been stood uh, stood trial in court and the father died and then the brothers come to court and say hey uh, our brother he's a thief and stole it and he owes us then the then the court would say uh, well what do you want to pay half a fine no such thing as half a fine but uh, this Mishnah is not talking about that case where the father died first before the trial, but rather where the father himself um, was there for the trial, and the brother therefore just has to pay a, has to pay the amount, and unrelated to the verdict before, the amount is not going to change after the father died. Okay, so we ask, So then you're telling me that if the father had not stood trial, then what would be the law? Then you wouldn't have to pay, right? Because there's no, you wouldn't make a verdict about a partial payment. But now look at the Sefa of the Mishnah, which is coming up in a couple of Dapim, that contrasts our Mishnah with a slightly different case. Um, it says if he stole, a thief stole from his father, and then his father died, and only after his father died, then he slaughtered or sold the animal. He does not pay four and five because the owner no longer exists. He slaughtered an animal that actually he has partial ownership uh, of, but in any case, it doesn't belong to the owner because the owner is dead. Now, that's, uh, that's true, but whenever the Mishnah brings two contrasting cases, we always wanted to bring a contrasting case that's as similar as possible to the first one so that you can see the exact point of difference. So rather than switch the order of the, the and say the father's death in this case was before the Tabach as opposed to after, you can keep most of the case the same, keep the order of the same that he did Tebicha first and then the father died and make even a finer distinction, the Flog when does he have to pay four and five to the other brothers when the father already stood trial and the verdict was given? But if the, if the father had not finished the trial and died and the brothers are the ones bringing him to trial, 
then he would not. And we could keep the order the same that he did Tabach first and then the father died. Isn't, wouldn't that be a better distinction? Amar Nachman says, you're right, uh, you, that would be a finer distinction, but that's not the style of the Mishnah. I did the Nesiv Resha, Gadam Mishel Aviv Tabach Umachad, Ve'achar Kach Met Aviv, Nesiv Sefaname, Gadam Mishel Aviv Umet Aviv, Ve'achar Kach Tabach Umachad. It wanted to keep a stylistic parallelism, and therefore since in the beginning it talked about if someone steals from his father and first uh, slaughters it or sells it, and then and then the father dies. So we wanted to just um, keep all the words in there, but uh, the same pattern of sentence structure, and say just switch the word order and say he stole it from his father Umet Aviv, and his father died, and then he slaughtered it and stole it. But you're right; um, one could have made even that finer distinction. That's what happened. The when they discussed it on that day. However, they went and slept on it. After this discussion on the next day, Ram Nachman came to Rava and say, I says, I changed my mind. Now that, now that I've been thinking about it, um, the Pasuk says, you pay five oxen, and that means even five halves of an oxen, uh, five halves of oxen, um, if it's such a case, like with partners, then yes, there is such a thing as um, as a partial payment for a fine. And the reason I didn't say this last night when we were discussing it is because I hadn't eaten ox meat. Okay, what does that have to do with anything? Um, it, some people take this literally that he was um, he was fasting that day or he didn't eat sufficiently that day. And so he didn't have enough nourishment uh, and energy to think through it clearly. He was, uh, if you're hungry, or you didn't eat good food, then you can't think so clearly. Now I had a good breakfast, I had a good sleep. You know what? Now I um I figured it out. Uh, or it could mean more figuratively, um, ox meat is is kind of rough, tough to eat. You have to chew it over. It says I haven't, I didn't chew on it enough. I didn't think about this the subject enough. Um, I think it's funny that they're talking about paying an ox and he's talking about eating an ox. Okay. Anyway, he says, I didn't think it through. Um sufficiently, now that I slept on it, I changed my mind, and I think, yes, there is such a thing as a partial fine. If so, that there's such a thing as a partial fine, then what's the difference between the case in our Mishnah and the next Mishnah regarding a father? <clears throat> if there's partial payment, then how come in our Mishnah, so the he, take, he steals something from his father and slaughters it, and then the and and then the father dies. So uh, why should he not have to pay his brother um, for for half of it? He'll say he has one brother, so pay the brother five halves. Why not? The reason is in the resha we can apply the pasuk that says he stole it and slaughtered it all in prohibition. Since the father was alive, right, when he slaughtered it, so he steals it from the father, slaughters it, you're not allowed to steal it, you're not allowed to slaughter it, you have to give it back. What are you doing slaughtering something that you just stole? So because both actions were done 
in prohibition. Uh, therefore, and uh, the Resha says he has to pay the four and five. And if he has one brother, then that means he'll pay the brother uh, the ha half of the fine. Whereas in the Sefa, where he stole it from the father, but then the father died. So then the slaughter is not, does not violate. In fact, he's slaughtering something that doesn't belong to the original owner because the original owner is dead. And so therefore, since the slaughter was not entirely Be'isura, um, because he owns part of it. He's, um, he's one of the heirs. And so he, the part that he owns, he's allowed to slaughter. Since it's not entirely in prohibition, therefore you can't say that he slaughtered the whole thing in prohibition. And that's why in the Sefa, he does not have to pay. That explains the difference between the Resha and the Sefa, uh, assuming that there is such thing as partial payment. Nevertheless, there is this, still this important difference. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.